Blog Talk Radio. Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. I'm doing great out here in the Northwest. We're kind of being spared the brutal winter that most of the country's seeing, so can't complain there. How are you doing today? Just got done shoveling four inches of snow off my driveway. Convenient you would say that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, i got a great show for you today as we're going to cover the NFC West. Um, and another thing that's not up is my internet. So if we have some issues, I'm glad glad this is over the phone. So, uh, but anyway, we're coming to NFC West. We're also going to have uh, draft hopeful Deshaun Ross on here just three or four minutes as we get the lowdown from another small school prospect. He's out of Kentucky State, uh, and he looks like he's listed as a defensive tackle. Pretty uh, pretty athletic for a defensive tackle. We'll get we'll get into that, all that position stuff with him when he comes on. Uh, and then, like I said, we're going to dive di- dynasty deep into uh, the teams in the NFC West. We're going to have Brian Tesh and Dana O'Gorman on. Brian Tesh is from Fantasy Pros, and Dana is of course an NFL female. Uh, we've t- spoken with both of these people before, so very excited to bring to bring them to the DFW crowd. Um, got a lot of. A lot of other dynasty things going on too, as so we're going to break down some trades and uh, whatnot. So I'm looking looking forward to a great show and seeing uh, seeing what we can figure out for you guys with those teams in the NFC West. A couple retractions from last week. Um, Nick, off, uh, I'll put you on the spot right away uh, as I as I listen back to the show as I always do to mainly critique myself. Nick is pretty flawless most of the time in his delivery. Um, you actually mentioned, uh, said the name Fred Taylor rather than Fred Jackson. And I know you know how much I love F-Jack, so I, I got over it, though. I mean, I think they're both probably the same quality player, but uh, Fred Jackson's certainly uh, a little more of a durable player than Fred Taylor. So, but at least you were in the right sport, because I, for some whatever reason, every time I mention draft prospect Kevin Coleman, I call him the R&B singer from the 90s, Tevin Campbell. So I'm going to say it right now three times, just like they do in that movie Beetlejuice. Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman. So hopefully if you hear me say Tevin Campbell one more time, I shouldn't have said it yet, but you know who I'm talking about. But I'm, I'm going to get it right, and I, and I really like this guy too. I just can't, I don't know why I can't get that out of my head that I keep calling him the wrong name. But anyway. That was our retraction from last week. Hopefully that will not be a reoccurring set. And it's Fred Jackson, Nick. But anyway, uh, a lot of things going on at DFW. We are so excited to bring that to you. Um, one thing right off the bat, if you haven't had a chance to get in there or you'd like to you know, watch a lot of a lot of video on these prospects, we have something called the Film Room. Go go there and check that out. Uh, we got some nice breakdowns, just really quick two, three-minute videos of some really nice plays by these prospects. So check, go ahead and check that out. Um, 
our staff is breaking down many of the top rookies from the from this class, and we're going to give you a lot of a lot of insight as their potential long term value, especially obviously dynasty formats as well. Um, co- complete team recaps covering all the major coaching changes, free agents, you know, this year's draft, all all located right here on DFW. So we're we're gonna we have that. That's what's going on with our podcast too. Each each of the next eight weeks, we're going to be breaking down one division. We're going to have bloggers from different teams come on and talk about theirs, and, and we're going to break them down ourselves, too, if we don't have a blogger from that team. So we, we, we really want to get deep into the dynasty value in each of every one of these teams. So that's what we're going to do here for you in the next coming months. Um, definitely check, up, check out the film cut-up room. Um, our, our rankings are updated monthly as well by our well-informed staff, which will give you the edge to start up startup drafts and trade decisions. Uh, definitely check out the forums as well. Um, for trade advice, you know, just, just talk shop, just talk about how, you know, what your dynasty league can do differently to run better. Uh, we have, we get got a lot of great perspective and, and, not, and a knowledgeable staff members in there too, to help you out. So uh, make sure you check that out. Looks like we got Deshaun on the phone. So we, we will get him on right now. Deshaun, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing today? Good. Is it is it Deshaun or Deshaun? Deshaun. Deshaun. All right. Sounds good. Well, how, how's it going there? Are you are you in Kentucky today? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm up here uh, right now. I took a couple of days off. I'm at my old school trainer, my college. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, for starters, the it's Deshaun Ross or excuse me, Deshaun Ross, defensive tackle. Looks like you're listed, Kentucky State. Um, what what don't you tell us? You know. We've we've all seen the the film on you, Deshaun, But what 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 do we what what will we see if we sit down and watch a full game of you? What what are we going to notice differently that we don't see on these highlight reels? What are we going to be impressed by you when we when we watch a whole game of yours? No, uh, first off, you'd be impressed by my motor, uh, never giving up on the play, no no matter the distance uh, the distance apart from it is. And you also see a person with uh, they can give you different moves. You also see a person that's been used in different different positions all, all across the D line, and even even some used on offense as far as blocking fullback and uh, blocking tight end. So you'll you'll see a player that's been moved around can play different positions and a and a player that with a great motor and hunger with a great get off that uses his hands. Little offense too. I like that. Another dimension to your game. Uh, Nick, what what do you got for Deshaun? Uh, yeah, Deshaun. Uh, so Kentucky State, you played all over the D line, like you mentioned, and the scouts are going to love that versatility. But I was wondering what position feels most natural to you? Um, probably the three technique, uh, D tackle, more of a uh, edge rusher, pass rusher. But I, I, I say basically the interior. I'm more comfortable with any of the interior position, but particularly the third. Deshaun, how how do you think your game can translate to the NFL? Now, if you if you get a moment to watch the, Deshaun's uh, highlights, make sure you check it out. Uh, what what I really like about you is you you seem to somehow just get that extra edge when you get you get one hand on a guy and then the whole body comes over. And how is how are you going to make that all work in the NFL? Uh, just practicing uh, techniques and learning from the people ahead of me. Uh, been there for some years. Also, get taking in, soaking in a lot of information from our coaches because without coaching, we, we ain't we're not players. 
So it's a lot that I uh, that I have to learn at the next level, but I'm also willing to learn the things and putting in the extra effort and extra time at the practice or before practice or in the meeting room. Have you been contacted by NFL teams? And do you know if they've been at, been at your games at all? Um, I, at the when I in December when I was at the FCS Bowl, uh, I was in contact with the Rams and the Eagles to say they really liked me a lot. And uh, since then, some uh, some CFL teams has been in contact with me on a daily basis, and uh, and a couple more like it's like arena teams and everything. But the Eagles and the Rams and Oakland, I had talked to Oakland for a little bit. They said it was interesting. Okay, well, I can as a Raiders fan myself, I can I can handle that. Like I said, I really like uh, like your tenacity, and like you said, you don't you don't use that same move every time. You kind of mix it up, and I think. I think that's going to help you that you that you have more than one kind of technique and the fact that you've played all over the line that's going to help you a whole lot. Nick, Nick, what do you got for Deshaun? Yeah, so I've seen uh, you listed at six one two ninety, and recently I read you did a uh, thirty three bench reps, which is really good. And I was wondering, are you really a four eight four nine forty guy like I've been reading? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This uh, recent was clocked at a uh, four nine, so I stay more up four nine level. So four nine hand time. <laughs> uh, I think the I think the scouts are gonna love that definitely. Um, are you are you attending a regional combine or have you have you gone to one? No, uh, no sir, no sir. Um, right now I'm not uh, scheduled for a regional um, because it was all booked by the time. But right now I'm uh, putting all my focus into my pro day on March 12th at uh, the University of Kentucky. All right. So your pro day is March 12th, and you're going to the University of Kentucky for that. You said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Nick, what else you got? Yeah, so some people wrongfully believe that if a player changes schools multiple times, there must be academic issues. That's definitely not the case for you as you're getting your diploma this May. But, uh, you know, smart and football smart can be two different things. Do you think that your quote-unquote football IQ is on par with the bigger school players? Oh uh, yes, sir. Just for the, um, for, like you said, transferring, so knowing different schemes that have to be in my playbook and like just learning like different techniques, where learning different fronts, how they play, feeding off them, and just like just feeding off a whole new system and learning the system and being able to grasp it and and add my own little thing to it as as it made me grow as a player, especially as a D lineman. Um, now, who who did you like? Who did you like growing up as far as uh, football players? And you, they don't they don't have to be D linemen. I mean, obviously you're 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 a fullback and a tight end too. Who did, who did you really like growing up as a kid? Um, my uh, my family is a, re- a big Refrigerator Perry fan, but uh, me personally, I was a big John Randall and Leonard, uh, Leonard Little fan. Um, Leonard, because my the Rams is my favorite uh, favorite NFL team, and uh, John Randall just he just defines me, and he just had the hunger and the and the drive, and was run every play, and I just noticed him. And then me going up playing little league, I was a D lineman, so I just focused him on John Randall. Do you think that's a pretty a fair comparison? I mean, you obviously have that that motor, and he was a small school guy too. Do you think that's a fair comparison for you? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I say it is. All the way. Uh, yes, sir. That's it. I mean, still, I gotta learn to, to reach to reach his level. But I, I say it's a good for a comparison. Him with uh, Geno Atkins. That's who my I watch currently. Okay, Nick, you got anything left there for Deshaun? 
Uh, yeah, you know, today we see a lot of NFL teams rotating defensive linemen in and out uh, quite a bit to both keep them fresh and to maximize their talents. And So I was wondering, do you see yourself as, like, more of a pass rusher or a run stuffer, or are you, like, an every-down type of guy? Uh, I say I'm more of an every-down player, but uh, uh, but I, I bring a lot of to the pass rush game. I, I think I have a lot of uh, different moves and everything and uh, different counter moves to go along with it, so... I say I'm more of a pass rusher guy, but I feel like I uh, I'll be good on both aspects of the uh, both aspects of the, of the game, pass and then rush and run defense. Okay. Um, now nowadays, Deshaun, uh, it seems like the NFL is a little bit uh, regressing back towards the smaller, you know, the under, not not way under, but slightly under 300 pound defensive tackle. Now you're kind of you're kind of in that caliber, and and hopefully that that helps you out along the way. But what what I mean, what what do you think of that? I mean, do you, do you know? Do you think you're going to run into that? Like, well, you need to put on some more weight to play at this level, or do you think that's going to be? You know, they're going to take it for what it is and give you give you a shot no matter where where you're at weight wise because you're not you're not a guy that's going to. Bl- to balloon up to 330 pounds, we know that you're you got way too way too much energy for that. But how are you going to maybe overcome that? And uh, what what do you think about that? Just in general, the, the way the NFL is going right now. Uh, I feel like it, it's it's helping our game because a lot of these like like the combine just recently came up. A lot of these guys is on the fast to forty, and it's, the game is beginning to move fast. And a lot of pass rush. I mean, yeah, a lot of pass rush is being used because the pass is uh, is up today. And, and it's, it's using you. I'm saying as far as D line, you have to go hash to hash. So the smaller D lines is able to get there to the hash faster than the more of a big guy that's just usually used as a plugger, like a, a hole plugger. Now the game is changed, so you have to be able to do. You got to be diverse, be able to run and pass and all that. So, so I, I, I yeah. think the game is about. No, go ahead. I also say I think yeah, the, the game is developed to more of a. A speedy game, so a speedy interior, a speedy. You getting more speedy offensive linemen, so you got to be able to match what they do to be able to be to be able to make plays and stop stop plays in the backfield and everything. Yeah, like you said, be able to stop plays in the backfield. You know, not not plug running backs at the line. You know, make make them either bounce out to the open arms of somebody on the edge or make that tackle yourself and have lose a couple of yards. That's got to that's got to be the mentality with those younger guys getting getting smaller, way and less. I think so. Uh, Nick, anything left there for Deshaun? Um, yeah, you said you, your favorite team was the Rams. I was wondering, uh, would you rather uh, go to a team like the Rams, who's already really stacked at the defensive line position, and have the opportunity to learn from guys like Robert Quinn and uh, Aaron Donald, or would you rather go to a team like Philly that you mentioned, talk to you, uh, where you might have a little more opportunity for immediate playing time? We lost Deshaun. Maybe. Oh, here he's back. He's back. Sorry. Hello. Yep, we lost you there for a second, but sorry about that. Uh, did you hear Nick's question there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, uh, I've been around fans since the glory days. Uh, the current one of Isaac Gross, Tom uh, John. I mean, uh, and a little was just uh, the person who stick out uh, of that defense that ran it and everything and made quick plays and and also helped it. Uh, my mom was from Knoxville, so I grew up in the Knoxville area, and he was a Tennessee ball. So 
I've been watching him since the younger days, so it just progressed it when he came to the Rams. Okay. Well, um, I think Nick was kind of asking, too, about would you rather go to uh, go to the Rams where they're already kind of stacked, or would you rather rather go Philly where you maybe have a chance to play a little bit more? Um, to be honest, I say I'd rather go to the Rams in competition because, I mean, each and every day is making you get better because so much talent there is either you either get it or you're gone. So you just bring a little bit more edge to you where you go to a system where you can already play in early and and, and they already got high praise. And, I mean, it's not a lot of competition because you begin to tend to relax and sometimes that affects your game. I mean, it, it all becomes it's inner. It's, it's your inner motor and everything. But sometimes that that takes a big, sometimes it makes a big help in your game to play with other competition and learn from what, learn from them to what makes them get great and everything. Yeah, most definitely. And I think you know, with the NFL really understanding uh, player rotation on defense nowadays, it's really a really a big trend. I think you're you're going to get your chance either way if you get if you get that chance with an NFL team. So, uh, Deshaun, I want to thank you so much for joining us again. It's Deshaun Ross. Um, what's your uh, What's your Twitter handle so people can go there and uh, go check out your video? Uh, my Twitter handle is PocketPusher55. All right. Cool. Well, go there and check that out, everybody, and uh, make sure uh, make sure you keep your eye on this kid. Uh, late late round hopeful and uh we we hope you we hope you get your shot and if you don't if you don't get drafted keep your head up man and just just uh do what you can you sign that free agent deal and just create some havoc in the in the preseason all right but yes sir thank you for having me thank you nope yeah no problem bud have a great day uh, all right certainly uh certainly a bright young kid there and uh motivated to know what he wants uh appreciate having those uh those those fringe prospects on because I think he's gonna think he I think he's gonna get a chance and it's it'll, it'll be nice to say that uh, we had the chance to talk to him when he's uh, when he's sacking Peyton Manning next year for my Oakland Raiders we'll see we'll see seventh round guys give him a shot uh, but anyway Nick um, I uh, got a, got a lot of things coming up like you said today we're guys we're covering the NFC West we also have a uh, excuse me. Uh, we're also going to talk about a few dynasty dilemmas. Um, our buddy Chuck here at DFW wrote about uh, the Broncos' backfield, and don't don't think that C.J. Anderson is the, is the number one guy right now. So we're going to get to that dilemma a little bit uh, later. But uh, first off, um, I did want to mention, just in case you are wondering, when I post something on DFW, it automatically links to er, the Fantasy Pros page for – San Francisco 49ers, third-string quarterback, Josh Johnson. I am not that person. I am actually a different Josh Johnson. <laughs> it is just a uh, just common name. Um, there's also Josh Johnson, who was a major league pitcher. Um, so, you know, if you, if you think I'm – I was like, hey, I wonder – no, no, that's not me. I've, I, I'm a different Josh Johnson. I can assure you that I was born and raised in South Dakota, and uh, I've never played for the 49ers or Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just so we're clear. Just so we're clear and everybody knows that I don't want I don't want you to think I am somebody that I'm not. So I uh, just wanted to clear the air there. Also, um, our first dynasty dilemma that we're going to hit on today is Bishop Sankey versus Brandon Oliver. Now, Ann, Nick took the Oliver route on this, and I'm really interested to see what he what he has to say. I think a lot of people are you know they've regressed a little bit on Sankey, 
but they feel still feel like opportunity is going to be there for him there in Tennessee. So, uh, uh, but let's not forget Ryan Matthews is a free agent. Danny Wood had suffered a catastrophic injury last year in San Diego. So Oliver's certainly going to see some balls this year too. So Nick, what do you got for us on Brandon Oliver? Well, so the biggest argument against Brandon Oliver is that he only had two 100-yard games in seven starts, and the last 100-yard game was in week six. You know, and that's a fair point, but, I mean, come on. Bishop Sankey's rookie season high was 61 yards. He was just terrible. All he had to do for more playing time was to beat out Sean Green, and he couldn't do it. Sankey also only had 18 catches compared to 36 catches for Oliver in two fewer games and two fewer starts. But, you know, enough about Trent Richard. I mean, sorry, Bishop Sankey. Let's get back to Brandon Oliver. His coming out party was week five against the Jets, 19 carries, 114 yards, and a touchdown. And he caught all four targets that game for 68 yards and another score. And remember, early last year, the Jets appeared to be fantasy poison for running backs, making his performance there even more impressive. And while he did have a mid-to-late-season statistical slump, he did finish well. He averaged over four yards a carry week 16 at San Francisco and over five yards a carry week 17 at Kansas City, both of whom have respectable defenses. You know, even if Ryan Matthews returns, that guy can't stay healthy. And, yeah, Danny Woodhead <laughs> will probably return from his early season-ending injury. But I think Oliver played well enough that if he's not the lead back, he should have at least have carved out a decent niche in the San Diego offense. I'm definitely not in love with him, but I would prefer him over Bishop Sankey every time. Okay. Well, I, I understand that uh, Sankey's numbers aren't what we expect. Uh, but please note that he was played on a young and not very good team. Uh, Oliver stepped into roles that were vacated by injured players. So, uh, you know, he didn't really have to fight for that role. And I think Sankey maybe understood what he needs to do to stay on the field. Um, Sankey was also the highest drafted running back in 2014. Thus, we all expected results. You know, I expected major results as I drafted him in the fifth round in a couple of weeks, maybe even the third or fourth in a dynasty format. So I'm stuck with him. That's kind of why I'm in the Sankey boat here today. Uh, he only gained 596 yards, but he only started nine of 16 games. Uh, they also had, you know, uh, Dexter McCluster there too. So they, they had some veteran running backs that they wanted to, uh, you know, not necessarily give Sankey the full boat. And I think that was maybe a kind of a, a learning experience for him. I think as these Titans get better, he will get better. Um, he's built like an NFL running back. He's 5'10", 210 pounds. You know, LaDainian Tomlinson, I'm not saying he's that good, but, you know, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, all those guys were about that. So he's got that durability. He's got that low-to-the-ground type of thing. Um it's, it does seem weird to me that Tennessee drafted him high and said, okay, we're well, going to have to fight for it. So I, I kind of appreciated that approach to Sankey, and I think he's going to be better. Um, you know, very, very rarely do rookie running backs hit the ground running. Usually it's the second second or third year. And Oliver was obviously an undrafted player out of uh, Buffalo University, the same university that uh, produced uh, Khalil Mack. Uh, but the, the numbers are quite similar for both of these guys. And, uh you know, I I like Oliver, but I think Sankey, like I said right off, is just going to have the opportunity to play a lot more in Tennessee. And uh, you know, Oliver could surprise us all. And if you have, if you need a, an extra an extra running back and an extra fresh set of legs at the end of your dynasty draft, certainly grab Oliver. Uh, that's that's not that's not going to hurt you because you don't you don't want to overpay for Sankey right now in dynasty. Sankey's going to going between rounds like 9 and 12 
which is, you know, it's, you know, you're kind of throwing darts after round eight a lot of the time anyway. But, uh, you know, Dynasty, when there's a lot of younger players going on, I think that's pretty fair. Redraft formats, I think he's probably going to be, I would say, fifth, fifth to eighth realm. Uh, as, again, you know, as, as a possible dart that could ignite. So I, I, I will not be surprised if either one of these guys have very good years. I think they both could pro- potentially produce the same numbers and better numbers than they did last year. So, uh, Bishop Sankey versus uh, Brandon Oliver. Uh, that, that is not the dilemma you're going to vote on this week. The dilemma you're going to vote on is choose one of the three Denver running backs. So make sure you go to Dynasty Football Warehouse and do that. Cast your vote. C.J. Anderson is winning that by a wide margin right now. But, uh, you know, let's face it, injuries paved the way for him too. So uh, but we'll get to that one a little bit later. Um we're going to have our bloggers from Seattle coming up here in about five minutes. That's Dana Gorman and Brian Tesh, uh, Dana from NFL Female and Brian from Fantasy Pros. Um, we're going to hit hit a lot of subjects for each team. Get like I said, get you the nice the nice dynasty edge there and whatnot in, in that. So um, I want to say why we have a few minutes, Nick, here about about this potential. San Diego Oakland Stadium sharing thing. Um, I don't necessarily think that would in a world would ever happen. Obviously, you know, there's a different story about the Rams helping fund a stadium now. It's somewhere different in LA, and you know, maybe they'll have three or five, five teams there or whatever. Whatever. There's a different story every day in this thing. But can we? Can you really imagine two division rivals sharing the stadium? Philly and Washington sharing the stadium. Green Bay and Chicago sharing the stadium. Minnesota and Detroit. You know, it makes sense to me that the Giants and Jets do. And if Houston and Dallas had to do that, okay. But two division rivals, guys that have played each other twice a year for the entire duration of this team's history, would they, would they really share a stadium? And, and what do you do? How do you paint it? You know, is one side silver black and the other side blue and gold? Uh, you know, is there is there a lightning bolt in one end zone? I mean, obviously they change it for the Jets and Giants. They change the field every week, but I just I just can't see in a world where that would ever happen, don't you think, Nick? Yeah, especially you know from an emotional standpoint of the fan. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be sharing your stadium with a division rival. But I think in this day and age in the NFL, uh, the almighty dollar prevails over everything. So. I guess if they think they'll make more money at it, then the fan will just have to suffer through it. Uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be very weird. Though. Let's get to some uh, before we are joined by Brian and Dana. Um, like I said, if you jump in on in our forums, there's going to be a lot of questions and just just trades that you can look at and see see what other dynasty owners are doing. So make sure you make sure you check that out. This is. This one really, really rang a bell with me because I, I, I'm such a huge DeAndre Hopkins fan. Um, and if DeAndre, if you happen to hear this, I'll, I'll, I'll take a jersey. If you want to send me a jersey, that's cool. I will wear it. I'm an Oakland Raiders fan, but I will send it. I will wear a DeAndre Hopkins game-worn jersey that's even ripped in the back. I'll, I'll wear that. You know, if you get one ripped, just send it my way. I appreciate that. But, uh, but somebody traded DeAndre Hopkins and their first-round pick as well as somebody else's first-round pick that they had got for. Dez Bryant, we'll get to him a little bit later, and a second-round pick. Um, there's also a – excuse me, they, they, so they 
Somebody gave up DeAndre, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick for Dez and a second-round pick. Nick, what do you think about that trade? Um, well, before the recent news about the possible Des Bryant video surfacing uh, this week, I thought it was a pretty even trade. You know, before that news, I would have said I'd take Des Bryant number one overall in a in a dynasty draft. So it would take a lot for me to give him up. But two firsts, a third, and a great young talent like DeAndre Hopkins, I think it's a pretty even trade as long as Des Bryant stays out of trouble. Yeah, you know, and. It depends on where your dynasty team is at. If you if you think you're on the cusp and you want another another player to put you over the edge, I, I honestly don't see that the, the numbers that either one of these guys produced this year is going to be very different. Um, we obviously saw the full DeAndre last year, not the DeAndre that suffered a concussion at the end of the preseason last year. We saw his full potential and what he could do. I just don't know in a dynasty format how – how you how you trade this guy, but you are get you are getting Dez in return. So I guess I guess that's fair, that's fairly even. But I just oh I just I can't wrap my head around uh, <laughs> trade Mr. DeAndre. Uh, another another DeAndre speaking since I love him so much. Another one that I that I had that I heard Nick that wasn't written down here for us. But uh, somebody traded DeAndre for Julius Thomas. And uh, and uh, the number five overall pick in a, in a rookie draft. What do you think about that? Obviously, if you have that first round pick, you're going to get a guy like Jalen Strong, Parker, you know, White if he's still there. I doubt it. But uh, what what do you think about that? Because you're gonna you're getting a tight end if you need the tight end, uh, but you're also going to get a chance to draft one of these. Uh, you know, and you probably have another first round pick to to draft maybe two of these awesome top five running backs in this draft. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would not have made that trade if I was the, uh, the the Hopkins owner. I just I'm not big on on Julius Thomas repeating his performance if he leaves Denver. You know, I don't think he's going to get double digit touchdowns without Peyton Manning throwing him the ball. So I, I personally would not have made that trade. Well, even if he, you know, even if he does leave Denver, um, or even if he stays in Denver, the fact that he's got 12. TD passes in the first two seasons. Do we honestly think that's going to happen again? There is no way that's going to happen again. Even if he stays in Denver, you know, obviously his numbers trailed off a little bit too because uh, because of Manning being hurt there towards the end of the year. He didn't have as many receptions. But you know, it depends on the offense that Julius Thomas goes to. I don't know how you make that trade now when you're not totally certain about what what team he's going to be on. But uh, yeah, it just it's it's a it's a hard call there. So we like I said Brian and Dana will be joining us very, very shortly. Um so uh I think the moral of the story is don't treat DeAndre Hopkins unless you're getting Des Bryant to wait wait and see how that situation all works out. Um so uh we got uh Dana on the phone, I believe. Dana. Dana, are you there? Hello? Uh no, this is this is definitely not Dana, oh. Josh. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. I thought you had a <laughs> pretty much the opposite of Dana. Okay. All right. Well, I I just actually had lunch with Brian. He's another fantasy guru, if you will, from my uh, wonderful South Dakota area. Not from South Dakota, from Washington. But uh, uh, he's in the area right now, so I'm making full use of him while I got him here. Now I got Dana on the line. Dana, are you there? I am here. Okay. You are on with Nick and Josh. Dynasty Pulse 
podcast is now what we are calling it, and we have uh, Brian Tesh from Fantasy Pros and Dana O'Gorman from NFL Female, and we are going to get down and dirty with some dirty birds. Actually, the dirty birds are the tough. So I'm sorry. What, what, do you, what do you call your birds up there in Seattle, Brian? Um, I, I personally don't even think of them as birds. I kind of think of them as more mythical beasts that uh, represent everything right <laughs> in the world. Well, you know, uh, the word the word hawk doesn't really describe a bird. When I think of a bird, when I think of a hawk, I actually don't think of the fact they're a bird. I just think of the spearing I, I kind of, it was one of those questions my parents really couldn't answer when I was a kid. Like, what's a seahawk? It was just like, we don't know either, Brian. <laughs> we don't know all at all. Right. Well, since you guys made the Super Bowl game, I thought I'd call in two of the best Seattle people I know as we break down this Seattle team uh, dynasty-wise. So, uh, Dana, let's swing the first question to you. If Marshawn Lynch is not retained, uh, is it Turbin or Christian Michael that gets gets the nod? Well, is it Turbin or, or Michael or or a yeah. draft pick? I mean, it's 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 kind of up in the air when when you have. Marshawn Lynch, and I say that with reverence because he is just a god in my eyes. You know, I think that it's hard for really these guys that are underneath of him to to get much playing time in order to kind of give a good view of where they're at and how they are. So, you know, you look at their stats. Turbin's been playing, you know, for three years. Michael's been on the team for two. Um, They're very similar in their stats. Um, Obviously, Mike um, Turbin, excuse me, Robert Turbin, has had a little bit more playing time than Christian Michael. But people, the fans are really high on Michael. They really like the way he plays from the teeny little bit we've seen. We just haven't gotten a lot from him, um, except for, of course, in preseason and, and that sort of thing. If I had to pick one right now, if you said, okay, Marshall Lynch is not coming back, pick one of the two, I would pick Turbin. And the reason I would do that simply is for experience-wise. He's just had a little more experience playing in the offense. You look at it long-term, though, there seems to be – you know, quite an upside with Michael. However, the rumors have it, and I know we're going to talk about draft a little bit later on, that they are kind of looking for another running back to throw into the mix. So if you put me on the spot, I'd say Turbin, but long-term, I'd probably lean a little more towards Michael. Well, and this is a great running back draft, too. I think nobody's mm-hmm. going to fall Seattle if they go there, too. And there's going to be quality running back talent when they make that first-round pick if they want to go in that direction, certainly. Uh, Brian, I I, I, I don't think they're going to go running back at first round. First round, no. Exactly. The the the. I mean, it is the the Seahawks. They they only on on their active roster. They're only going to carry maybe two running backs, and they they're already pretty high on uh, Turbin and Michael. Uh, that for fantasy purposes, you you don't really want to have Robert Turbin on your roster. I mean, he's a he's a nice back. Um, but he's pretty much your your garden variety, slightly above replacement level back. But where he makes his 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 living is that he he's the best pass protector slash receiver out of the backfield. But mm-hmm. I mean, Michael, if you watch him play, if you there's every once in a while you'll get an instance where you'll have Turbin get a carry, and then you'll have Michael getting a carry, and it's just like are these these aren't these aren't even these aren't even running backs like Robert mm-hmm. Turbin is. Running in, running in sand, and Christine Michael is on a super fast treadmill. That right. he is just—he's a cut above athletically um, mm. right now, but he—he he has no use. That he doesn't return punts. He can't really catch passes. He's, his pass pro 
has been has been questioned in the past. It's supposedly improved, but if he he would be the largest beneficiary if Marshawn Lynch um, yes decided to to retire, and I think he would kind of be in that. I would I would draft him somewhere between that running back fifteen twenty range if that happened. It's not going to happen, but no. if it did, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, because it is. It's the if if you were Marshawn Lynch and you were a running back, you were arguably the best running back in the league. Uh, that you're you're a little you're a little bit up there in running back years. Uh, why why not? Why not say you're going to retire and try to bilk a couple more um, a couple more ducats onto that contract? So I I would go Michael um, in fantasy, but it's not going to happen. Um, I don't even think the Seahawks are going to draft a running back. They might sign a guy. Um, undrafted out of undrafted free agency, but the they have more pressing uh, non fantasy position needs, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay, yeah, most definitely we'll get to that a little bit later. Nick, you have any questions for our our two person panel here? Uh, no, I'll just weigh in on that last one quick. Though I, I think it's tough to see a team with Super Bowl aspirations like the Seahawks that have such a run-based offense trusting either of these two guys to be the man and take over the Marshawn Lynch role if Lynch were to retire. So I think if if Lynch did retire, I think they would try to sign or draft a running back number one or run a running back by committee scheme. I don't see either of these guys putting up Lynch numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at it, I, if I if I may interject, I, I sure think I found it somewhere that, I mean, on a per touch basis, which gets a little screwy because Turbin Turbin catches passes, which which inflate his per touch per touch yardage mm-hmm. total. That they're the combination of Michael and Turbin were fairly close um, to Lynch. Yep. And Lynch is just three deviations from the mean, insane running back. Like most of the time, running backs are all pretty fungible. But I mean, even the if he if he were to go, uh, that it would be an interesting committee approach. But it the drop off wouldn't be like it wouldn't it wouldn't be the end of the world. It would be bad, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, well, if you want a pass catcher, Shane Vereen is a free agent. Just want to throw that Everyone's out. Everyone's a free agent. Every stinking <laughs> running back in the NFL is a free agent. It's insane. Well, I was I was going off of the fantasy realm there for a second, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, Dana, we started with you last time, so we'll start with Brian this time. Do we now see Paul Richardson getting the Percy Harvin style role in 2015? Well, I it, in my my bar for Paul Richardson is extremely low. Um, I am actually really uh, quite concerned for his his prospects of even mm-hmm. uh, making an NFL roster going forward. Um, much less getting the Percy Harvin role because he was it was really sad because I mean he was it was he kind of became a bit of a of a punchline within the fantasy community because he was he's this this skinny medium sized receiver and all the receivers picked around him the Martavis Bryant's Allen Robinsons they were just they're exploding like they were posting tremendous numbers and Paul Richardson was was kind of left in the dust. But I mean, at the end of the year, he was his his role was gradually improving, and he he tore his ACL. Um, and as a player that relies on long speed, it's never a good thing. Um, so if I if I had to give a prediction for Paul Richardson next year, I would say that he starts the year on the pup list um, and could possibly spend all of 2015 on injured reserve. 
Okay. It, uh, maybe maybe Norwood comes into the conversation then? Uh, what do you think, Dave? You know, Norwood definitely could come into the conversation, but they're just different type of players. Here's here's my issue with this a little bit. Uh, you know, Paul Richardson becoming a Percy Harvin style role. I don't think the Percy Harvin style role will exist in Seattle. I think that Thank they tried that. I think that they, yeah, I think that they tried it. I think that they thought that this this could be a new, you know, facet to their offense. But really, what ended up happening is that it completely dismantled their offense it was it's not how they play now if you come in you get a whole new OC you get a new head coach great you know but this is just that is not their style of offense so really I think the way the Seahawks use wide receivers that Percy Harvin role could easily be taken over by a tight end this is not this is not something that I think that they're looking to replace I guess is the best way to put it I agree about Paul Richardson. My heart broke when he hurt his knee again because it's the same knee. And, you know, it, it, he just never it – take, it took him a really long time to recover from the first one. I, I don't see him really recovering from the second one, which is too bad. I think he's a solid kid. I think that, you know, if he was healthy – he really could be helpful. But at the same time, you mentioned Norwood. They're, they're just different players. Norwood is more physical. He's bigger. He's beefier. And so I think that it, it, it's really hard to compare the two. But I have to agree. I, I don't see Richardson. I would be surprised if he came back next season and if they did, if they really used him much, because I think that this second injury to the knee is it, just kind of going to be his tipping point. Okay, yeah, I guess I guess it's maybe my fault. I didn't realize the injury was that bad. Uh, but well, maybe we maybe we answered our questions. I just saw that Baltimore just cut Jacoby Jones. So yeah, they did. I know Seattle, <laughs> Seattle didn't have a decent kick return game last year, so maybe maybe that's the key there. And then one thing about Seattle too is, you know, people were so upset when they traded Harvin, and they're like, oh, they're you know they're not they weren't saying oh they're giving up, but. You know, Harvard barely played for this team. People got to right. remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't. You know, he had a role for maybe one or two games where they threw him those short passes and handed it off. But you, ha- you always worried about his durability and whatnot. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe I'm answering. My own. Nick, any thoughts there on that? <laughs> Well, if you look at Richardson last year, he did have a very quiet start. But over the last three weeks of the regular season, he did get C-19 targets. So it seemed like they were right. trusting him maybe a little bit more. But then, like you guys mentioned, the injury hit. So, you know, hopefully he can recover from that. But, yeah, I don't see him being like a Percy Harvin type. Uh, yeah, if yeah. the Seahawks were going to take a fantasy position player early, it would be at wideout. But uh, they're, they're kind of forced to as the – I mean, even after Richardson, uh, Doug Baldwin, he's he's a really nice slot receiver. He's not a guy you want out you know, as a as a flanker or a split end. Jermaine Curse, I mean, you can improve upon Jermaine Curse, and there's a lot of guys who made the roster um, due to special teams ability instead of their ability catching passes behind him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even Curse, Curse made the team because he was terrific on special teams. That the Seahawks seem to have this archetype of we're going to get an undrafted wide receiver, they're going to make the team playing special teams, and then gradually work their way in. But as Seattle eventually transitions away from the run, um, they're going to actually have to bring in conventional wideouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, Curse uh, and Ricardo Lockett are both free agents, so they might be drafting at least one receiver, I would imagine. Um, it's, I didn't write it down, but what do we? What do you, Dana? What do you think about this Chris Matthews character? I mean, obviously, 
he just has the Super Bowl. But uh, do you think he could progress into this offense next year? Sure. I mean, sure, why not? I mean, honest to God, you know, he, here's yeah. the thing with, with I think is what happened is, is he made a statement. He made a statement in the last two games. And the reason that he was able to make those statements is because there's no film on him. Like, no one knew anything about him. They, you know, they had their third string, you know, um, corner on him because – no one knew anything about him, but the kid is tall. He he's he's a Pete Carroll type player. He's very tall, very physical, and that's what Pete loves. So could he work his way in? I think so. Yeah. Will he have you know the the talent to to be that you know game changer that we need? I, I don't know. We just don't know him enough in this offense to really you know know. I think if they use him well in the next year, it'll really kind of tell. It's just so hard, you know. He he caught an onside kick and he had some great plays in the Super Bowl. That's all we know about the kid. Well, listen, I I will say that Chris Matthews I think is terribly underrated um, because I, yeah, I mean I in the in the in the dynasty community I mean people people just go gaga over Deron Carter, um, Chris Carter's kid who played in the CFL who signed for the Colts. And if you look at Matthews' stats and Carter's CFL stats, they're comparable. Um, if you look at Matthews and versus Carter in athletic testing before they came out of their respective drafts, Matthews beats him hand da- hands down. Um, he's bigger, he's uh, as fast, jumps higher, more agile, and uh, it's the he more production, actual college production while he was at Kentucky. That there they might have found something in Matthews because I mean Jermaine Curse is is. He's a nice player, but for fantasy purposes, he's imminently replaceable. That it, it's going to be a very interesting camp battle because you will have you'll have Norwood Matthews Curse fighting out there for that that conventional wideout spot. And I do. I think that the the thing with him was he got hurt in Canada, and he probably he had a he missed a year with turf toe, and last year he possibly could have been recovering for that. He doesn't really play special teams, so there was no mm-hmm. there was no reason out to to have him active. I mean, he was there on the hands team because he was a wide out. But, I mean, he doesn't play in the, the kick return or the punt return packages. But now he's kind of, I mean, he's flashed. He didn't flash really in the preseason. The Seahawks found something or must have seen something in him to keep him around on the roster. And then I I am I'm intrigued. If I'm in, like, deep, 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 14, 16 team leagues, I take a flyer on him through the fact that, I mean, he's a big guy. I and mean, if, if you're going to find a guy in the red zone for the Seahawks, it's going to be Matthews. Mm-hmm. But, you, I mean, he might even get cut next year. We don't know, but he, of the wideouts on the Seahawks for fantasy purposes, I actually like him the most. He is the best bet, I think, to deliver value next year. Okay. Well, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but I know he is under contract through next Season, so I yeah, imagine and, that and, and, uh, and Lockett, they're they're restricted. I mean, that's the Seahawks will yeah. just slap a, a like fifth round tender on him, and nobody will match it, and they'll they'll be back for another year. But I mean, they're I wouldn't exactly call them long term pieces. Okay, uh, Brian, I think we started with Dana last time. Uh, Luke Wilson, it's okay. we're we're Luke good. Will- we're we're Robert Turbin and Christine Michael here. Does Luke Wilson have any dynasty value at all? Obviously, he scored some touchdowns last year. Or maybe is there another tight end coming to town? Uh, with this draft class, no. No. Oh. There's, oh, am I starting to receive? Oh, well, we, we're, we're, we're clashing. 
this is bad. Sorry. But, oh, Brian, go so, ahead. Okay, so the the thing with this draft, there's there's nobody coming up the pipe in this draft class. I mean, Max Williams is nice, but they're not going to take him in the first round because they, they like what they have in Zach Miller. They like what they have in Luke Wilson. They might bring in a free agent tight end. There's a lot of really interesting guys that were buried on their rosters, as like Rob Hausler, David Osbury, Virgil Green. Um, I mean, there was there was even a rumor that the, the Seahawks were interested in bringing in Jordan Cameron or trading for him last year. So there's there's rumblings they might bring somebody in in, in free agency, which would squash his value for this year. But I, the team likes him. It's just kind of one of those weird situations where they don't have enough volume, and the the pie is split three ways between, um, well, last year it was Helfit, Wilson, and Moyaki, and this year it's probably going to be Miller, Helfit, and Wilson, that there's just it's just not a high high enough percentage of, of targets to, to amass a new fantasy value. I mean, Luke Wilson himself, great, is a really interesting player. He's within, I mean, he's like a top 10 percenter athletically within, within the NFL at the position. And, I mean, he's, he is gradually growing within the offense. But I think he could have a really nice second act for his career when the Seahawks eventually start opening the offense up. But, I mean, for the next couple of years, I mean, you, could, you can easily leave him on your waiver wire. Okay, Dana? <laughs> Pardon me. Well, this is kind of where maybe we're going to disagree because yeah. I really feel uh, – well, let me just say that I've been contacted by about three or four people and, and and that have said, Dana, what is this deal with Cameron to Seattle? And I know we're going to talk about free agencies, free agents here in just a minute, but it seems to have a lot more ground the closer we get to free agency hmm. that Jordan Cameron is highly interested, very, very interested in coming to Seattle. He played for Pete Carroll at USC. He um, knows that Seattle, there was that rumor, because it was never, you know, um, substantiated that, you know, the Percy Harvin trade, that they were trying to get Percy to go to the Browns to bring Cameron over, and the Browns didn't go for it. Probably smart of them. They had enough drama in their team last year. But there seems to be quite a lot of momentum behind the whole thought of trying Jordan Cameron coming to Seattle. So we we will have to see what happens there here pretty soon. But I do think that I agree with Luke Wilson. He started to kind of really shine uh, this season. He's only been in the league for just his two seasons. And, you know, there is a big, you know, jump in production from year one to year two. And I think we saw that with him. Now, whether or not he'll be long-term in Seattle, I don't know. I really don't think Zach Miller is, you know, long for Seattle. I would be surprised, actually, personally, if he ended up back in Seattle this year, depending on his health, of course. But one thing that you're absolutely right about is that this team likes him, and that means a lot, believe it or not, to the Seahawks. They really like a player. They kind of give him some extra room a little bit. And so I think that he – that Luke Wilson will probably – do I think he'll be, you know, Seahawks his whole life? No, I don't think so. But I think that a lot will depend on what happens with his fantasy value, whether or not Jordan Cameron comes in. If Jordan Cameron ends up in Seattle, then Luke Wilson will lose a lot of traction there. Um, if he doesn't and he continues to play, in, you know, as well as he did toward the end of the season and, and continue to get better, then he could have some pretty pretty decent value. But I, I wouldn't – I mean, he's not Tony Gonzalez. So it's not like we're, you know, we're talking about having yep. this huge – numbers out of him yeah there's yeah i would say that i mean like in the perfect world his upside would be like tight end 10 like I mean, he's he's one of those yeah. guys that I mean, you can if if everything breaks right for luke wilson he'll be a mm-hmm. guy that you 
you, you that you pick in one of the last rounds of your draft that maybe you stream. But I mean, he is for a fifth round pick from a purely football perspective. That it's great. We are absolutely ecstatic with the, what we've gotten out of Luke Wilson. But you got to realize, I mean, there is only I mean eight to ten tight ends that are really like guys that you really want on your fantasy roster. And I, I don't think that Luke Wilson will ever be one of those guys, but he's he probably will end up being a starting tight end in the NFL at some point in time in his career. Okay. We just have a few minutes left, so uh, Dana, why don't you just give us your, your thoughts, maybe on other potential free agents, and what, what do you think the top priority in the draft is? You know, the interesting thing about the Seahawks and free agency is they don't play a lot in that game. You know, they don't have to. They they have their stars. They know they have their stars. When they go in after free agency, they go into, you know, kind of deeper players. Kevin Williams is a perfect example of a free agency player that they brought in. He was very specific, exactly what he needed, but you're not going to get a big splash. I mean, we're not going to be the first story run on, you know, NFL Network in any way, shape, or form. Jordan Cameron is probably the biggest one that I've heard, um, and that would be, you know, pretty big. I would be, as a Seahawks fan, be thrilled to have Jordan Cameron in Seattle. But, you know, so we'll have to kind of wait and see. The Seahawks really, they're going to work on their depth again. I don't think that this team last year was as deep as they were in the previous year in 13, and so they needed to they need to refill that, especially at cornerback. You know, you don't think of Seattle needing cornerbacks when you think of the likes of Richard Sherman. But we do. There's a very good chance Byron Maxwell is not coming back to Seattle. Someone's going to way overpay for him. And so he is going to end up in another, uh, probably on another team. And then with the horrific injury um, to both the arm and the knee of Jeremy Lane, that's really some depth that they're going to need as a, in cornerback. I think that our offensive line is better, but of course we'll need depth in there because they have a horrible time staying healthy. But then I do think in the draft they're going to look at probably more defensive tackle, D-line, O-line, I don't think wide receiver is going to be very high on their list. This draft seems pretty deep with decent, solid wide receivers. Um, I definitely don't think Seattle's going after a wide receiver in free agency. But I think that they're just going to kind of look for a little more depth um, on in in those spots where they seem to be injury prone. Okay, Brian, what do you got for us? Well, I, I am going to agree with, with Dana that I, I'll even guarantee it that we the Super Bowl was Byron Maxwell's last game as a Seahawk. Yeah. That somebody – I mean, it's it's great, uh, but it, he's the, – the cornerback market is so shallow, and the draft class itself is from people smarter than me about evaluating secondary players, not that great. So right. uh, everything's lining up for him to just – to cash in, and you know I can't blame him. But the I will agree that um, we're going to be losing possibly um, we're going to possibly be losing Carpenter on the offensive line, mm-hmm. and this year really exposed that the Seahawks don't have much depth there. That they were they're signing guys off the street to start on the offensive line, so that needs to be reloaded. Um, I will agree that they they might even need to take a safety high. Within or sign somebody in free agency because there there is a decent chance that Earl Thomas is actually going to miss some of the regular season. That it's it's very much out there, and he's he is the glue of the defense. Cam Chancellor also played hurt through the Super Bowl. Richard Sherman, who knows what's going to happen there? Apparently, he's not going to not going to have surgery and try to to just rehab it. But that that's it's all very dicey. So with mm-hmm. that, I the Seahawks will probably need. To focus, um, but I I will say that so offensive line the Seahawks usually find they usually go defensive line and free agency 
And I, I will say that, yeah, outside of maybe a, a reclamation project at tight end or wide out, um, they might draft somebody. I mean, they, they seem to like these, these big guys. I would say uh, maybe a Desmond Lewis later in the draft. Uh, Devin Funchess didn't have a really great combine, but he's, he's really interesting. Another guy completely and totally diametrically opposite, Kenny Bell out of Nebraska had a really quietly effective combine and probably could be had in the middle rounds. He seems like a Seahawks kind of wide out. Um, but with that, I mean, too, they should also look into free agency and look at guys whose value is, is currently down. Guys like uh, Denarius Moore, um, who had some years in Oakland. That is just Oakland seems like a hostile work environment um, but, <laughs> and could possibly benefit from to, to come up into Seattle. And also a guy like Leonard Hankerson, who also comes from another hostile work environment in Washington. <laughs> so those guys, some very interesting, measurable guys that, I mean, had their, their moments in the sun that could possibly play on the outside for the Seahawks. Okay, well, that uh, that's a whole lot from both of you guys, and I certainly thank you for doing it. Uh, I, I know our DFW fans out there are going to appreciate a lot of that great inside information there about the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, we're going to try to do the rest of these teams in our division by ourselves. So, so good luck, good luck to us, I guess. And thank you guys so much for joining us. It's uh, Dana O'Gorman, NFL female, and Brian Tesh, Fantasy Pros. Uh, go to both of those websites and read their stuff. Check them out on Twitter as well. You can click their names in this podcast right up later today, and I'll go straight to their Twitter page. So thank you, guys. I uh, appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank right, you. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. All right, Nick. Well, nobody there for our Seattle fandom mentioned the fact that they could lose Tavarius Jackson no, I mean, I know that's not a huge loss, but you certainly want to have a good back at quarterback, don't you think, Nick? Oh, definitely, and especially a guy like Tavares that's been there. He knows the system. He's probably more valuable to Seattle than he would be to another team, but who knows if they're going to be willing to pay him the money that he's going to probably uh, probably get on the open market. Uh, yes, Blaine Gabbard is also a free agent in uh, San Francisco, so maybe San Francisco signs Tavarius and uh, gets that inside edge on the, uh, the Seahawks finally. Uh, that'd be an interesting development there. And Yeah, you know, they're both probably right about Byron Maxwell uh, leaving, but with all the injury problems they've had, and I think I saw a story recently about Jeremy Lane maybe tore something in his knee on that same play that he broke his arm in two places. I don't know how they let that guy go. He Maxwell made just under $700,000 last year. Yeah, he's he's probably going to get like a, you know, maybe a, a $5 million deal unless somebody really, really slaps the money towards his way. But I don't see how they let that guy walk. He's part of that legion to boom. He understands the mentality. He knows what this team wants out of him. And anytime he's had a chance to, to start – he's really growing into a great player, don't you think? Oh, definitely. He's uh, definitely a key part of that Legion of Boom, like you said, but uh, it's all going to depend on what kind of money he gets. You look at Seattle's cap situation, uh, their cap number right now is only $127 million, and that looks pretty good, but it's a little bit misleading, too, because they are going to have to uh, rework some new contracts for guys like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. So, you know, even though it looks like they have a lot of cap room, it's, uh, some of those dollars are kind of already spoken for. Yeah. 
rough situation there. Um, they they do do pretty good at finding some diamonds in the rough and getting those team friendly contracts. So we'll see we'll see what they do there. But uh, they certainly got some some things to deal with this off season. Now each and every week we do a little something that we'd like to call Nick Rant. It's where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. Um, sometimes it's a lot of uh, but uh, make sure you always check this out each and every week because it's one of my favorite moments of the week. It's called Nick Rant. What do you got for us, Well, the NFL scouting combine was last week, and among dynasty experts and hardcore fans in general, I may be considered a heretic, but I didn't watch one second of it. Now, there are positives that come out of the combine, teams getting to interview players and having their doctors check them out, and especially for smaller school players to prove that they're on the same level physically as their uh, Division I counterparts, and as well as some good young players who are backups in college without much game film getting a chance to show their stuff. But for the most part, I just don't think it translates to success on an NFL football field. You know, if I want to see what kind of football player a guy is, I'll watch tape of him playing, period. I mean, wow, Winston and Mariota look good in passing drills. I would hope the top two quarterbacks would look good throwing to uncovered receivers with no pass rushers. But you know what? Drew Brees didn't. He had an awful combine. He turned out okay. DeAnthony Thomas, one of the fastest football players I've ever seen, ran a 4-5-40. Not very impressive and not indicative of his game speed. Uh, another reason I don't watch is the coverage. You know, at least in the years I've watched, it focuses on the glamour test, the 40-yard dash, the bench press, passing drills. But, you know, as our friend Gene Clemens and his co-authors from Football Game Plan wrote in their awesome books, The Farming Football Myth, 40 times in bench reps are overrated. Players don't run 40 yards in a straight line or need to lift while lying down. Squats are a better measure of football strength, while shuttle drills, three-cone drills, the things that can test change of direction and short area quickness are more relevant, but those don't get the same amount of airplay. You know, of course, I did look at the numbers afterwards out of curiosity mostly, but I just don't pay too much attention to them. Track stars win the combine, while good football players win, or should I say earn, a lucrative second contract. Josh? Sorry about my dumb dogs in the background. Uh, they, They agree with you, apparently. Um, yeah, you know, one thing I don't really enjoy watching is a big offensive lineman run the 40. It's like the first hour of both of those and the D lineman, too. It's just like, really? Do I want to watch these 300-pound guys run the 40? Because it's not pretty, especially with those outfits that they're wearing. But like you said, uh, and like Gene said, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the bench press that's that important, you know, like you said with the squat. I mean, that's that's what they're going to be dealing with on each and every play. I think it's more of a red flag, maybe maybe I'm totally disagreeing with you, when somebody doesn't, you know, I'm not concerned when somebody isn't at the top of their bench press, but if, if they're really, really low on the bottom, that's a little concerning to me, just a little, but not, I mean, not, not as far as what, I, if I want to see them on the field, I'm going to watch them on the field, like you said. Uh, that being said, you know, some guys have used that to catapult themselves into some earlier rounds, you know, there's a lot of buzz about the wide receiver out of Georgia named Chris Conley who just lit it up at the combine and looked looked very well and ran faster than I think a lot of people got and thought he would. And I, I still can't believe DeAnthony Thomas ran a four or five. He just he looks like he's going in fast forward when he's on the field with that ball. I, I, that's just crazy to me. But obviously that's just another thing to dispel this myth that the combine that gleam of the combine isn't necessarily that important. Um, you know, I would really like you said 
to see more of these small school guys there. I think there's only about 300 players invited to the combine, and uh, just under you know under 300 of them are drafted. Maybe 260, I think the number is. I can't think of it. But anyway, uh, so maybe some more of these small school guys get a chance. And I, and I know there's these regional combines, and I'd like to see more of that because you know some of these guys don't get enough credit. Like like we heard Deshaun Ross earlier. The guy runs a four nine. That's that's pretty impressive for a guy that's just ten pounds under three hundred. That's that's what I want to see at these kind of combines. I want to see some of these small school guys really show off their skills. And if that's what's going to help them get drafted, that's cool. But I mean, we don't. I don't want to sit there and watch, like you said, Mariota and Winston. We all know that they're good football players. And oh, Winston had a bad combine. Does that mean Tampa's not going to take him number one? I don't think so. I think they're still pretty set that that's going to be their pick. Um, you know, and another thing, not necessarily combine related, but I, I noticed at the combine that Marcus Mariota was six three, two hundred and twenty pounds. Now, I never, I guess, I never realized his actual stats in that regard. But uh, I mean, that's an average NFL quarterback. Everybody said he's too small to play this position, Nick. I mean, he's six three, two hundred twenty pounds. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> He's not Joe Flacco, but he's also a lot more athletic than Joe Flacco. Don't, don't you think? Oh, definitely. But, you know, this time of year, people are nitpicking every possible tiny flaw they can find in the top guys. So I, I think it's normal that we're going to hear all, hear a lot of negatives going into the draft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other any other things, thoughts about the combine that you, that you liked or some players that maybe stood out to you? Uh, well, you know, I mentioned both quarterbacks performed fairly well. Uh, Brent Humley, who's typically thought as being the number three quarterback in this draft, he uh, performed pretty well, too. Uh, you mentioned Chris Connolly running a 4-3-5, but he only had 36 catches last year, so people are going to have to go back and look at more film on him. Uh, a lot of the receivers ran really well. Amari Cooper, 4-4, Kevin White, 4-3-5, Devontae Parker, 4-4-5. Uh, Doriel Green-Beckham is an interesting guy at 6-5, 237, ran a 4-4-9. You know, those are just a few of the wide receivers that uh, performed really well. Uh, Oregon's uh, tackle, Jake Fisher, was really impressive among offensive linemen. And then a uh, running back, smaller school guy from northern Iowa, David Johnson, at 6'1", 224, ran a 4.540. Probably go and uh, look a little more into him. Yeah, I like that Johnson kid out of northern Iowa. He, it's It's not very often that running backs run with that kind of uh, tenacity. He he kind of points he points his shoulders down and just really really runs with a lot of strength in his game and I really totally appreciate that about him. I really like the kid out of North Dakota too, uh Crock at the running back out of North Dakota. Uh, I think it's I can't remember his first name right now, but uh, I think he I don't know if he was even at the combine, but I think he's he's done some pretty pretty good things and I think he should definitely deserve a chance. There was one guy that just I, I kinda noticed him in drills and I have never never heard a word about him since and I haven't heard anything about him prior to the to the combine either. But he was there. He's a running back out of Kentucky named Braylon Hurd. Uh kind of a smaller guy, you know, five nine, five eight, uh realm just under 200 pounds uh but you know i see him as kind of that possible Kerwin williams guy that could maybe come out of nowhere if he gets a chance Kerwin was uh, obviously drafted by uh the colts as a seventh round pick a couple years ago and then got a chance last year with the cardinals and performed pretty well in the couple games that he was able to start i i, I just want to throw that name out there there's each and every year i kind of fall in love with one of those late round flyer guys and uh you know he might not even get drafted but i think uh braylon hurd um 
when he becomes an all pro, we can say that I talked about him right here on this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, I just I like the way he moved in drills. He, he like I said, he's a smaller guy, um, but I think he uh, he cut well, and it just just I was just impressed by him. Um, I, and I, I know it's Mike Mayock's favorite drill, but I love that drill where they where the wide receivers run back and forth and catch the passes from from both different from all angles from each left and right, left and right. Yeah, I love that. I love that thing as well, and I and I really enjoy watching those offensive linemen uh, do the do the lateral movement too. That's what I want to see from offensive linemen. I want I'm impressed when those guys can get get that lateral movement going, you know, switching directions and, and really do it with some speed. And I think uh, Cameron Fleming out of uh, excuse me Cameron Irving out of Florida State really impressed me in that in that regard too. It's Fisher as well. I like Fisher and. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was banging on Fisher because he's not a 300-pound tackle, and I'm happy to say he reported to the combine 306. So uh, he, he made it, Nick. <laughs> now he's ready to dominate. Uh, like I said earlier, the dynasty dilemma that we are going to have you vote on today is the Denver situation, the three-headed monsters, T.J. Anderson, Monte Ball, and Ronnie Hillman. Uh, right now, we're sitting at 18 votes for C.J. Anderson, five votes for Monte Ball. And just one vote for Ronnie Hillman, and I should let Nick know that last week Chris Borland won by one vote. So he took the Chris Borland stand in that regard last week. Uh, we're not going to kind of do it back and forth here since we have three players, but we're going to maybe both just kind of touch on all all three of them just a little bit, and I think we both are in agreement. Maybe Anderson is the clear-cut number one, but uh, we'll get into that. But um even though I possibly voted for Ryan Shazier more than once, you still beat me by a wide one vote. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so what what do you got for us on this uh, this Denver three headed monster? Well, first I just want to say I only voted for uh, Borland once. I wasn't stuffing the ballot, so it was a, <laughs> it was a fair win there. But <laughs> I have back two to the computers in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to the Denver running back. So, I mean, of course, C.J. Anderson is who you want, the top guy you have. But, you know, if something were to happen to him, I would prefer to have uh, Ronnie Hillman over Monty Ball. Last year, Denver basically handed Monty Ball the starting job on a silver platter, and even before getting hurt, he squandered the opportunity. 23 carries in week one versus Indianapolis. In a game Denver only won by seven, he could only muster 67 yards, and that was his season high. That's under three yards a carry in that game, only 3.1 yards per carry on the season. You know, Ronnie Hillman was consistent, yes, but at least he provides some highs. He had 200-yard games last year, two other games with uh, two touchdowns, and his 4.1 yards per carry was a full yard higher than balls. Uh, and Ronnie Hillman also has 43 career catches, so he can help you out a little bit in PPR. I will admit that since Denver spent a high uh, draft pick on Monty Ball, he may get the first crack at starting if Anderson falters or gets last chance. And if he continues to fail to impress, then the new head coach, Gary Kubiak, who had no part in drafting Monty Ball, could be quick to, uh, let's say, default ball, deflate Ball's ego by sitting him in favor of a more experienced Hillman. Uh, that's just what I think, anyway. Well, you know, we we do want to think that Anderson is the uh, is the clear cut number one. Our our buddy Chuck uh, wrote us wrote a different story that he's not necessarily going to be not necessarily a keeper. Don't uh, don't uh, hold your hopes out because I I see you know I see Denver and Gary Kubiak who's always had an effective running game throughout his coaching career go, going with the hot hand and um, I'm not necessarily sold on any of these guys. 
as a as a as a running back one for your for your fantasy team. Um, obviously, Anderson is the dynasty ad right now. Um, you can trade Monte Ball for anything. I would certainly do it. Maybe Hillman too if you can get, unload him. Um, Anderson is a guy that you want to own in dynasties, even if even if he doesn't have a huge year this year. Um, but all indications is that he'll probably get the starting job unless he does something to lose it. Um, but I, I see them using all of them. So I personally would not would not would probably stay away from this this whole committee. And I and I do think Anderson's going to be the number one. Hillman has that nice dimension, and when he's needed to start, he's been very good. Uh, I just I am so afraid of Monte Ball. I don't know I don't know why he just he I, when him and Le'Veon Bell hit the market I I I thought Ball was just going to be the bruiser and obviously Le'Veon has gone uh, gone on to bigger bigger and better things uh, and and overcoming injuries and that's overcovered not another one next year but uh, Ball you know just like you said he just twenty three carries sixty seven yards that's the best he could do all year long you want to you I mean that's I think Trent Richardson averaged more yards per carry than that last year. That's three point one. So uh, there's there's where you're at with Monte Ball. Uh, uh, maybe he can go somewhere else and and find something. But like I said, wherever Gary Kubiak has been, he's had a quality running game. So if any of these guys come out and average you know four and a half yards per carry and rush for a thousand yards, I'm not going to be surprised at all. No. He he was around there in the Mike Shanahan days too, when they had guys like Mike Anderson and Orlando Gary rushing for a thousand yards. I mean, does anybody even remember those guys now, except for Denver fans and uh, us us fantasy dorks? I mean, they they've always Kubiak's always had some semblance of a running game and a very good one as well. So look, I wouldn't be surprised to see all three of these guys used in certain roles, and for that matter, it's not. Good for your fantasy team or your dynasty team. If you got to own one guy, own C.J. Anderson, but do not overpay for him. Um, so make sure you go to Dynasty Football Warehouse right now and vote on that. Um, maybe a couple more votes for Hillman because we don't want Ball winning over Hillman. You know, Hillman, Hillman was too small to play. That's what people said when he came out, and uh, I think he's proven that he could he can hang even even in a smaller role. So let's move into the San Francisco 49ers, Nick. Can we make sense of this wide receiver core for the 49ers? Is there a dynasty gem contained within? Well, you know, Anquan Bolden, I think, is the clear-cut number one again this year. Uh, Michael Crabtree likely on his way out of town. But uh, Colin Kaepernick's limitations in the passing game hurts all the 49ers wide receivers from a fantasy perspective. Uh, you know, you got Stevie Johnson played okay, but he couldn't really beat out the 33-year-old Brandon Lloyd for playing time, and Lloyd didn't even play at all in 2013. So I think that probably says a little something about Steve Johnson's ability at this point. Uh, you look at a couple other guys, Bruce Ellington, he's only five foot nine. Quentin Patton, you'd think, should have been able to earn more than the 13 targets in 10 games that he had last year to be fantasy relevant. I'd probably take Ellington over Patton at this point, but I, I'd prefer to have none of these guys on my fantasy, especially in dynasty formats on my fantasy team. Uh, yeah, you know, Bolden is a guy that's going to go late, especially in dynasty drafts if, if you're doing a startup. But, you know, the guy is an effective player. Stevie Johnson. It has had some some health issues that really haven't cost him a lot of time, but he's just a guy that I really can't in good faith take. Yeah, a couple of years ago, he he had he had surgery on some part of his back that was 
broken. So anytime I hear broken back wide receiver, I I don't uh, I tend not to uh, ever want to draft them. Um, and I just kind of automatically take them out of my subconscious radar in my head. So, um, uh, Quentin Panton, Panton, if it was going to happen for him, it should. Uh, Bruce Ellington is maybe the guy to grab. He's a guy that, you know, with this great wide receiver class coming in here and you don't get one of those top five or six guys uh, in your dynasty or in your startup dynasty, and Ellington is there late, he's certainly worth a dynasty ad, even even a redraft ad, as, as a possible potential, you know, keeper steel going in I, I think he can be an effective player in this offense uh but a lot of this is going to hinge on uh colin kaepernick so uh our next question here about san francisco nick is is kaepernick's dynasty value affected at all by training with the great kurt warner what do you think well it's funny when i first saw this question i thought well wait didn't he have a quarterback's coach before then i saw he didn't i, I thought washington was the only team dumb enough to try to transition a young running college quarterback into a pocket passer without having a quarterback's coach around but i was wrong again so yes i think it could help some you know the 49ers did finally hire a quarterback's coach steve logan uh this off season uh but you know his resume he's the east carolina head coach boston college offensive coordinator his last nfl job though was a running backs coach in tampa bay from 2009 to 2011 so i think it could definitely help uh training with kurt warner i'm still not really high on kaepernick but it definitely can't hurt especially if kurt warner tells him hey don't get photographed wearing miami dolphins gear this off season <laughs> uh well our good buddy ken leblanc who is very vocal about what he likes in in newer these newer style spread redosh and quarterbacks would say you can't just take one of these guys and make them a pocket passer you can't take away what made them successful and have them be something they're not because of course they're not going to be successful so i don't know if if warner has that in his head or not if he can do something like that but one thing i'm going to be interested to see with Kaepernick, Kaepernick excuse me going forward is is the arm angle of the, of his ball. Now I think him and him and Warner both throw the ball at kind of the same arm degree. But when you see Kaepernick throw that ball, he's really throwing that ball like a baseball pitcher, you know, like a three quarter style baseball pitcher. Because that's what he was. He was a baseball pitcher, you know, in college. He can he can throw that ball up to ninety miles an hour. Uh, Warner seems to come over, you know, kind of about the same degree, but there's a little bit more of a bend in his arm. So there's a lot more elbow action in Warner's throwing delivery. So I think if he can maybe, I mean, obviously he's trying to change the way Kaepernick's thrown the ball his whole life, but if he can maybe get him to bend that arm just a little bit, maybe we're going to see some, some better accuracy and maybe some not, you know, not so frantic, just over, over the shoulder hucks that we've seen from Kaepernick in the past, excuse me. So I, I think maybe if we, if we see something different out of his throwing style, and if Warren is just, you know, even just, I don't know how you teach patience, but just maybe watching some game film together. And, you know, if, if Kaepernick and Warren sit down and watch some, some of the greatest show on turf, and Kurt Warren said, see, I'm the slowest person to ever play at quarterback in the NFL, and I had these five wide receiver sets. And, look, I didn't get sacked on this play, and I, and I just stood there. Can you imagine that? I mean, yeah, he had Orlando pace, but, uh, uh, you know, there's there's – a lot to be learned from these two polar opposites actually, you know, knocking heads or shoulders, what you will. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we'll see something out of, out of these guys, out of Kaepernick, hopefully 
hopefully it's for the better, especially for San Francisco fans. I mean, I'm sure they really want to make that, that work, and they got a lot of money invested in their products. So, uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, what do you think, Nick, about um, the secondary for the 49ers? Uh, kind of in flux. Does that mean uh, Jimmy Ward, the little guy from northern Illinois, does he make some IDP noise this year? Well, if you look at his rookie season, he only played 270 snaps, but that's definitely some valuable experience that he got, especially given the fact that playing at Northern Illinois in college, he didn't face a lot of tough opponents there. Uh, He didn't start any games, played in only eight games last year and had 19 tackles. To me, playing time is still going to be a big concern for him, at least this year, unless he's maybe switching to corner where they're pretty short. But uh, you look at their safeties. Antoine Bethea got a big money contract last offseason. Eric Reed, 31 starts over the last two years, and he's played okay seven interceptions, two fumble recoveries, 19 passes defensed, and 108 tackles over that span. So, you know, I really liked Jimmy Ward coming out of college into the draft, but I think he's going to be risky at least this year in IDP fantasy terms. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I like him. I think he's a great a player that's maybe going to take a few more years of seasoning, uh, and certainly not necessarily IDP. Uh, if, you want a, if you want a young rookie safety in this uh Division free IDP, it's Dayon Buchanan and Arizona, but we'll get to him a little bit later. Um, um, what do you think this Niners team needs to do in the draft, and uh, what are they looking at in free agency, Nick? Well, if you start with their cap situation, they're looking at uh, about $148 million now. The cap's expected to only be about 140 to 142 so they're going to have to free up some cap room. They do have some options there, though. They could free up uh, $9.75 million if they cut Alden Smith, uh, almost $7.5 million if they cut Patrick Willis, who's coming off an injury, uh, $4.9 million Vernon Davis, uh, $4.25 for an aging Justin Smith, uh, $6 million if, uh, if they release Stevie Johnson. You know, I wouldn't feel safe if I were any of those guys. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick costs $15 million against the cap, which seems pretty high, but it would cost them $10 million to cut him, so there's no way they're going to do that. I think the, their needs are going to depend on who they lose in free agency. They don't have a lot of glaring holes, but I think they could look at maybe wide receiver, offensive line, cornerback, since they have three corners that are uh, set to be free agents, and uh, possibly running back if uh, if if Frank Gore leaves. Uh, the offensive line, I think, would be a concern, though, especially if they lose Mike Upati. He's a great guard there, uh, but he is set to be a free agent. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a big name there. I you think they would want to retain him because you know they gotta we gotta keep that line intact for the style of play that Kaepernick plays. He's not gonna stand back there like Kurt Warner, like we said earlier. But uh, you know, as far as draft, I think they need to get some kind of a defensive playmaker with Alden Smith and Justin Smith. You know, possibly gone. They need somebody. They need that edge guy. Um, you know, and they have. A, a fairly higher higher pick than they've had in the last couple of years since they didn't make the playoffs. So I think they maybe really need to look at those edge guys. Um, um, you know, maybe Alvin Dupree out of Kentucky. Uh, I think they're calling him Bud Dupree as well. He's certainly a, a, a guy I would look at. Uh, Ellie Howard from West Virginia uh, is another guy that I really, I really like and I see could be a, a decent player for them. So, uh, yeah, as far as free agents, you know, I d- We'll see what happens on the Crabtree front. Um, I know they've expressed interest in re-signing Frank Gore, but uh, geez, I mean Carlos Carlos Hyde has got to be ready to rock for this team. I, I would imagine. So um, I, I think they're going to really set 
hide free, and I'd be really surprised if they brought Gore back unless it's you know a really really team friendly deal. So uh, we'll see how that all works out there. Uh, some more questions from the forum, Nick. Speaking of Carlos Hyde, um, uh, OC Punisher asks if Carlos Hyde's value this season should uh, should, should it be high enough for me to trade young wide receivers for him if I need a running back. What do you think? Uh, well, Hyde's value hinges somewhat on the status of Frank Gore, but he's 32 years old. So if they decide to let Frank Gore leave, then I think Hyde's value could be through the roof. Uh, he's a big guy, six foot, 230 pounds, second-round pick in last year's draft. He never went over 55 rushing yards in a game last year, but he also never even got half the snaps in the game due to the presence of Frank Gore. Uh, as a rookie, he did get that four yards per carry that you look for. Uh, he, he, did, he only got 333 yards on a year. So the risk is there, but if you're solid at wide receiver, I wouldn't hesitate, hesitate to trade one for a really high upside young running back like Carlos Hyde. You know, if and when Gore signs elsewhere, then I think Hyde's speculative value goes way up. So even if Gore returns in 2016, I think he should be a no-brainer starting job for Hyde. You know, I think he's probably a top 10 running back if he is starting this year. Yeah, you know, and he's the same style of back as, as Gore, and I and I think they really like and understand that that's going to help them. You know, he's still still under that rookie contract for a few more years, and I think they need to squeeze out of him what they can before he's going to demand a lot more uh, money on the open market. Um, so, it's hard to trade a couple young receivers for a running back, especially since we're looking at just committees everywhere except for maybe just uh, in the NFL next year. And, you know, if you're if you're trading for Hyde and you need to trade a, a young wide receiver for him, make sure you get a draft pick back when we, where you can draft one of these guys and, uh, and, and snag him. And if you want to wait till after the NFL draft, See if you know you know a guy like Tevin Coleman. I got his name right this time. Or uh, obviously Melvin Gordon land on a team where they're actually going to get a chance to uh, to really do their thing. Duke Johnson is another guy that I like. Uh, they're certainly worthy of that too. So if you want to wait and see what happens in the NFL draft before you make that move for Carlos Hyde, that's probably not a bad idea. Uh, another question here from Bud Hamoud. I think I'm saying that right. Is Jimmy, I'm a Jimmy Graham owner. I also own Eric Ebron. I'm just wondering about his current value, and is he still potentially a top five tight end? What do you think? Well, I think the key word there is potential. Uh, yes, you know, he's only one year removed from being a top 10 pick in the draft, 6'4", 265. He admitted to being overwhelmed as a rookie a little bit, but if in, in year two, if he again fails to top 40 yards in a game like he did as a rookie, I would start to panic, but I wouldn't panic yet. Plenty of rookies struggle, so I, I definitely wouldn't go on with a fire sale on him, especially since the pieces are in place around him to open things up. You know, Detroit's got a good running game with the Drake Bell, and plus they've got a Megatron and Golden taking pressure off him in the passing game. So the opportunity is there. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate him more. If they, There's been a lot of rumors that Reggie Bush might be done there. So they obviously have Theo Riddick to step into that role. But uh, hopefully that would mean a little bit more from Ebron specifically. And I, and I think, you know, I would, I was – kind of thinking they would split him out a little bit more and keep Pettigrew or Fourier on the line and maybe use Ebron as that kind of hybrid. And we haven't seen that yet. I think they maybe really wanted to get him used to uh, to blocking and whatnot. Still kind of really surprised by this this move. 
for Detroit, but if they, you know if he gets going in the receiving game, it's going to make Calvin Johnson even more valuable at goal two. So, um, top five, maybe in five years, I guess we could be saying. But uh, you know, with uh, guys like Jimmy Graham and Gronk at the top, it's going to be pretty hard to for for somebody else to jump up there in the mix. Um, I just don't see it with Ebron right now, unfortunately. Um, have room on your dynasty to let him sit there. Uh, I, I'd certainly certainly do that. So I also really like Jason Marlowe if you're out there looking for another tight end or you think you can maybe flop Ebron for Amaro. I think Amaro's got certainly an easier road ahead of him, especially if the Jets get Marcus Mariota. I think that's going to be a nice value boost for Jason Amaro's uh, dynasty value. Um Last question here from the forum, Nick. I have Big Ben Steel Curtains. I have Big Ben, Matthew Stafford, and Teddy Bridgewater, 12-team PPR. I need a wide receiver, two and a tight end, two. Which one of these three quarterbacks should I shop? What do you got? Well, it's tough not knowing the overall status of the roster, uh, but I would say, you know, if you're just getting a tight end number two, I, it would have to be Teddy Bridgewater unless you're getting a lot of draft picks involved for one of the bigger-name quarterbacks. Uh, as far as if you're going for the wide receiver two, there's, you know, so many variables, like the wide receiver's age and your ability to draft a top quarterback this year. I, I would personally try to keep Matt Stafford. He's only going to be 27 years old last next year. He started every game over the last four years, so they – the injury concerns are somewhat behind him now, and he's had over 600 attempts every year in the last four years. Uh, Big Ben, he's probably better in 2015, he, and he did go over 600 attempts for the first time last year, but he's going to be 33, and his style of play, such a tough physical quarterback, but he's and, he, and he's big enough to absorb that kind of pounding, but I don't think he's going to last as long as like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. You just can't take that amount of hits every year and continue to produce. Uh, yeah, I would maybe certainly shop uh, if you can get even even you know in your eyes a wide receiver three and maybe a tight end with that you think that has potential. Like again, I'm going to bring up Amaro. If you can get Amaro and maybe you know somebody that's third on the depth chart for a team right now as far as wide receiver, um, even like a, a Ruben Randall type player and you can flip Big Ben for those guys, I I would certainly like that. Um, kind of hard to give up on Bridgewater right now because I think while he didn't jump off the stat, you know, jump off the paper stat-wise last year, um, he's he was certainly a very controlled player, and he just did things, and he was always getting his team positive yards. So I think the potential there with Teddy B and this, if they get a wide receiver, one of these hot shot top five wide receivers, I think you're going to see some really good things there from Bridgewater next year. Um, Stafford, like you said, is just younger than Roethlisberger. So if you can flip Roethlisberger for some, some younger, even some younger players, if you want to, you know, wait till after, after the draft or during the season and potentially steal one of these young you know, one young receivers in this draft that are older or that are not the top five, or if you want to offer like for a, a Dante Moncrief or somebody like that, I think you can get the Dante Moncrief for a Ben Roethlisberger. I think that's, that's a pretty fair trade at this point, especially if you see a team that's in dire need of a quarterback and they just need somebody to somebody to actually step in and play. I think you can see some good things there with, with that situation. So love the questions for the form from the form. Keep them coming, and we'll try to keep answering them for you. Uh, let's move on to these Arizona Cardinals, Nick. 
Oh, what to do with Michael Floyd? Well, <laughs> well, you know, contrary to reports, Michael Floyd actually was not the worst player in the NFL last year. He, uh, he went from 562 yards as a rookie to 1,041 yards in year two. So I guess anything short of 1,500 yards last year would have been a disappointment. <laughs> you know, admittedly, I was I was too high on him last year. He ended up with 841 yards and six touchdowns, averaging 17.9 yards per catch. And big play wideouts tend to be kind of feast or famine as far as fantasy goes. And the revolving door quarterback surely didn't help him out at all. He's very talented, but so much hinges on a uh, Carson Palmer's ability to stay healthy there in Arizona. I think the FW uh, Dynasty Football Warehouse currently has him ranked at 18. I think that's a little bit too high, but I think that ranking was made when Larry Fitzgerald was expected to be leaving town. I I think he's a solid wide receiver three. Uh, He's going to have some bust weeks, but more often than not, I think he'll get you around 50 yards with a chance of a touchdown. And he did have 300-yard games last year, uh, including going eight catches for 153 yards and two touchdowns at San Francisco in Week 17, which did didn't help his fantasy owners out much that don't play week 17, but it did show you that he has the ability moving forward. Yeah. Too little, too late for somebody that drafted Michael Floyd very high. Um, I would have took a thousand yards. I know he was actually the leading receiver for that team last year, but it just did not look like it at times. And I know there was an awful quarterback carousel that really affected that, but, uh, I think he's still, you know, their wide receiver number two, so he could potentially be a wide receiver number one. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you get burned by a guy, you got that bad taste in your mouth. So if you want to stay away from Michael Floyd, I think I'm going to do that this year. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe he jumps off the map and does it again and gets that 1,000 yards. But uh, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Nick, they also locked up Larry Fitzgerald. So where do we see uh, – is John Brown basically stuck in kind of dynasty value purgatory for the next couple of years while uh, Larry Larry Legend continues to play for the Cardinals? Yeah, I think Larry Fitzgerald staying hurts his value a lot. You know, when everyone is healthy, the reason Arizona's offense works is because of how many weapons they have. But, you know, the old saying, there's only one football to go around. But you look at John Brown last year, he did have 102 targets as a rookie. Uh, his season low was four targets in two games, and they used him all the way up to 10 targets in the week eight, uh, week eight win over Philadelphia. You know, that all being said, I think John Brown could be a guy who, because Fitzgerald's and he could be a guy who slips through the cracks a little bit in some startup drafts. Uh, I think he's ranked uh, right now wide receiver 48. I'd probably go at least five slots higher on him. Plus, he's a fun player to watch, and you, you like having fun guys on your team, or at least I do personally. It makes it a lot more entertaining. Uh, yeah, he's he's one of those smaller guys that can just flat out fly. Um, uh, I think it was even just maybe it was week one or early on in the season I saw him catch a uh, that little bubble screen and just made people look ridiculous on the way to the end zone. Um, I, I really like him. And like you said, he's a guy that's going to slip through the cracks because because he is, you know, the wide receiver three on that. You know, he's going to get that. People say, oh, he's just a slot guy. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, he. It's it's tough to see his value even going higher right now, but uh, if they you know if somebody gets hurt, he's going to be a high player in demand redraft formats. People are going to be all over him on the waiver wire, and uh, you know if Carson Palmer stays healthy this whole year, I think all three of those teams, all three of those receivers are going to be definitely roster worthy players. 
And uh, I'm not saying they're all going to catch, you know, eight balls for 100 yards every game, but they, I think they're all going to get their catches. Um, so look, look, you know, look for Arizona to be throwing that ball around a lot next year. And uh, if you can get Brown really cheap this offseason because of the Larry Fitzgerald move, I would certainly, certainly do it. Just uh, Maybe even just offer a really low ball deal because somebody might be a little upset about that Larry Fitzgerald deal right now, and then you can uh, really read the benefits down the line. Um, PPR alert here in Arizona next. Rashad Johnson, Dan Buchanan, and Tony Jefferson all made at least 78 tackles at safety for this team last year. Uh, they have another guy named Tyron Matthews, a honey badger, who's also safety for this team. So they have a lot of secondary players. Um, Buchanan and Johnson are IDP must-owns as far as I'm concerned. I think Jefferson maybe played a little bit more than he should have because of his injuries last year, and they're going to need to fill in that corner spot that's probably going to be vacated by Antonio Cromartie. But what what do, what do we think about the, this these two guys, Buchanan and Johnson, and can can they keep it up? Uh, Dayon is a, a, a very good player that I really liked last year prior to the draft and proven to be a solid player so far for Arizona. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll probably have pretty similar roles this year. Uh, they do have a new defensive coordinator, James Betcher, but he was promoted from within, so I think he would stick with what's working. They had a pretty good defense last year. Uh, I also really liked Buchanan coming out of Washington State. He's a solid tackler. He only missed eight tackles last year, and at only 22 years old, I think he's definitely got the most upside out of uh, anybody in the, at the safety position there in Arizona. Uh, as long as Rashad Johnson can stay on the field, I think he's also a great IDP play. But you mentioned Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. He's recovering from a injury bug, so if if he is fully recovered, he could bounce back and possibly steal some of the some of Johnson's playing time. Uh, the other guy you mentioned, Tony Jefferson, I think he played pretty ad- admirably, but being an undrafted guy means he could probably be the odd man out in the rotation if everybody's healthy. I think he'll keep his roster spot though. Okay, yeah, you know if he can fill in for the nickel. Nickelback, maybe he certainly proved that he can go out there last year and make some tackles. Uh, so, uh, but uh, Rashad Johnson and Dan Buchanan are certainly uh, must owns. We'll see what happens there with Tyron Matthew, who's uh, always seemed to have some kind of injury history. Um, Larry Foote is now a co- addition to the coaching staff in Arizona, so that means Arizona needs to get themselves a new uh, new man in the middle, a new leader of that defense. Uh, maybe they do this through the draft or free agency. Any thoughts on how they replace uh, the veteran Larry Foote there, Nick? Well, you know, if you're talking about from an emotional perspective, you know, the leader, uh, you look at the big names, Patrick Peterson and uh, Kalias Campbell, but those aren't linebackers. And typically you want that role to fall upon the linebacker, like a quarterback of the defense type. Um, so, you know, one guy that uh, a lesser-known guy a little bit, I think if Lorenzo Alexander returns healthy, he was always really good uh, team guy, to, so to speak. You know, a lot of players and fans in D.C. were really bummed out when he left town, a lot more so than usual for someone, somewhat of a lesser-known player. So I, I think it could possibly fall on him if they don't look for help outside the organization. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's some decent talent out there for – for them, uh, Paul Dawson is a guy that we we've I've certainly grown grown to like a whole lot. So if they can get a guy like that who's played, you know, kind of a different style linebacker, but could probably be a decent middle linebacker in this in this scheme, I think I think they should certainly uh, look into that. Uh, um, 
Any more thoughts, Nick, on kind of like their uh, their draft needs? They need offensive linemen. They need they really need a, a quarterback. I think a backup quarterback, somebody for the future, since they don't want to give it to Logan Thomas. Or maybe maybe that changes, and they could use another offensive lineman. But they need a lot of help on defense too. I mean, I know this is a playoff team, but if they, you know they're lose John Abraham's probably going to retire after some more concussion issues. So they need a they need a lot of help there, don't you think? Yeah, they, they've got uh, more holes than you'd typically see with a team with as good of a record as they had last year. Uh, you know, they could use a linebacker to replace Larry Foote. Sam Ocho's also a free agent. And definitely they could use some depth at quarterback, offensive line, and maybe even running back. You know, if, if Ryan Lindley sees the field again next year, the front office should just get an automatic pass, no matter what else they do in the offseason. Um, Andre Ellington, I really like him as a player, but I don't think he should be an every down back. But the fact that he's so much better than Stephon Taylor and Kerwin Williams basically meant Arizona had no choice but to use him as an every down back. But I think offensive line could be their top priority. You know, when your quarterbacks get hurt every other week in the NFL and your head coach is not Steve Spurrier, your offensive line probably isn't very good. I think uh, Jared Veld here was the only one that uh, Pro Football Focus gave a positive grade to last year. So I could definitely see him going O-line. Okay. Um, yeah, Veldier, you know, certainly was was good. Um they have some just kind of other role players and journeymen there on the line. So they, they certainly have some, some work to do, but yeah, I think it should not be understated. Like I said earlier, that Larry foot is gone and they need, they need somebody to hold that together. I know they we talked about the, all the guys they have out there in their secondary, but uh, they got to, they got to shore up that front step. Um, I think just some more dynasty trades here, Nick. Uh, somebody's going to have Jordy Nelson. And getting Dante Moncrief and uh, a first round pick, 19th overall, for for Jordy Nelson. What do you think about that? Dante Moncrief, first round, first round, 19th overall, so 1.19 pick for Jordy Nelson. Um, I like the trade for the guy who's getting Dante Moncrief. You know, with Reggie Wayne and Hakeem Nick's free agents, I think the upside is through the roof on Moncrief. Plus, you get a decent draft pick on top of that. And don't get me wrong, Jordy Nelson's a great player there in Green Bay, but he's a lot older than Moncrief, so I I think that the Moncrief owner definitely wins this trade. Uh, Yeah, but I think Moncrief certainly showed that he can be that be that home run hitter, and uh, I think with them losing Reggie Wayne and and Hakeem Nix, they're going to ask him to do a little bit more of the possession thing. So he becomes, he definitely should be on your PPR uh, radar next year. Uh, Nelson, 1,500 yards last year, just just a, a ridiculously good player. Um, but uh, he's, you're getting a younger player, you know, maybe even a younger version of, of uh, Jordy, if you will, and a pick. I think I think you pull the trigger on there, um, and, and you know maybe you would like a higher pick, but that's probably a trading pretty pretty high on uh, on Jordy. So I, I like that a lot. Um, oh, another another big one here: uh, Kadeem Carey, Jonathan Stewart, and Jimmy Graham for a third round pick and a fourth round pick. Excuse me, Kadeem Carey, Jonathan Stewart, Jimmy Graham. Third round pick and a fourth round pick for Andre Ellington, John Brown. A couple guys we've already talked about for a first round, for two first round picks and a second round pick. Woo! These guys are getting crazy with these trades. What do you think about that? 
Um, I like the I like it for the guy who's unloading Jimmy Graham. You know, he's one of the top two tight ends in the league right now, but his value is probably as high as it's ever going to be. And he's you know played through injuries the last couple of years. You got to wonder if he's if his body's going to be able to hold up for more than another year or two at the elite level that he's playing at right now. So you know, getting two first round picks plus John Brown and Ellington, I, I like that trade. Yeah. Um... I do too. Um, you're getting some, hopefully some guys for the future in Brown and Ellington, who is a great PPR wide receiver, excuse me, wide running back. Um, didn't see really anything from Kadeem Carey. I thought we'd see a little bit more from him. And Jonathan Stewart, are people forgetting this guy's been hurt his entire career? He flashed a lot last year, but everybody just seems to have forgotten that this guy has not been healthy throughout the entire duration of his career and people are drafting him way high and it's like when has Carolina ever had a rushing back? Uh, you know, uh just I don't I don't get how people have forgotten about that. So yeah, I definitely like this. You know, you're getting two picks essentially for for Jimmy Graham, I think, and I think that's a that's a hell of a deal. Um last well, a couple more here. Blockbuster here if you will. J- uh, somebody's given up A.J. Green and a second-round pick for Andrew Luck. Now, there's a lot of receivers out there in this game, and you're getting probably the best dynasty quarterback right now, I would say, in Andrew Luck. Don't you think, Nick? Oh, definitely Andrew Luck's the number one dynasty quarterback. Uh, you know, this trade seems really, really even to me. I was pretty torn in both directions, actually. You know, I love both these guys in dynasty formats. A.J. Green's only 27 years old, so you got to figure he's probably got another good five years of solid production in front of him. And, you know, it's to trade Andrew Luck, it would take a lot, but I think A.J. Green plus that second-round pick, 27th in the second round, uh, I, I think that's worth it. It's a pretty even trade. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think it's even in, especially if you think about all the receivers out there and the fact that AJ's missed some time over the last couple of years. So you're also, and you're giving up a pick and getting luck. I, I think it's a pretty fair deal. Um, luck is, like I said, just the best dynasty ad out there, I think, at quarterback right now. If you're a startup, he's going to be the first quarterback off the board. You're obviously not going to take one of these younger guys. Just I mean, he's Andrew Luck. He's <laughs> He had that silver spoon before he was even drafted. So I think this is a pretty sale deal. A uh, little little IDP action, Nick. Uh, William Gay, who I consider to be the best dancer in the NFL. I don't know if you ever saw the Dirty Wasp, but uh, ch- check it out. That was, that was a hell of a touchdown celebration. William Gay and a 2016 first-round pick for Ryan Shazier. So a little older secondary guy and a first-round pick for, for Shazier. A lot of love for Shazier, don't you think? Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, William Gay is pretty much just thrown in as a bonus in this trade. So basically, to me, it's uh, just a first-round pick for Ryan Shazier. And, you know, I think if this is the same, like, 40-plus team league, then I think he's definitely worth a first-round pick, you know. you got to hope that your team is uh, is good so it ends up being later in the first round. If, you're, if your team struggles this year and it ends up being a top-five pick or a top-ten pick, then, you know, you're going to regret that trade. But if you're set at the other positions and making a push for a championship, then I think that's an okay trade. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, uh, you're get, you're trading a lot of, you know, a high, basically looking for a lot of potential for Shazier, and I really like his speed and the way he attacks the game. So I I, I think that's that's a pretty fair deal there as well. Um, the, a, a lot of IDP guys are really high on Shazier as as you know he kind of struggled his first 
first year, so maybe he's going to get knocked down a little bit of a notch um, and if they can get something out of him. So, uh, you know, dynasty-wise, maybe he, people are people are really too hyped on him, but uh, we'll see We'll see how it works out because I think he is going, has the potential to be a special player, especially if they fully unleash him on the edge. Uh, let's move over to the Rams as we finish up this division here, Nick. Uh, well, clearly the Rams don't need a tie, uh, quarterback because – they're shopping Sam, Sam Bradford shopping himself, Sean Hill, Austin Davis are free agents. Uh, uh, what, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I mean, who's going to be the quarterback of this team? Are they, are they trying, I mean, do they actually give Sam Bradford another chance? Do they draft Brett Hundley? It seems too high to draft him in the first round, but he might not be there when they come around in the second round. What, what do we think about this quarterback situation? Oh, it's tough there for for the Rams. You know, there's got to be a restructuring of Sam Bradford's contract if they keep him right. He set to count sixteen and a half million against the cap. If they were to release him, it would free up nearly thirteen million dollars, and they're right up against the cap right now at about one hundred forty-three million. Uh, and Bradford hasn't played a regular season game since the middle of twenty thirteen, and he's never posted a winning record as a quarterback. I have nothing against him. I'll be rooting for him to have a successful comeback, but I just I, I wouldn't count on it. Uh, and you look at them in the draft there at the number 10 slot, that's that's tough because the top two quarterbacks are likely going to be gone by then. And like you said, it's probably a little bit early for the number three Hundley, quarterback Hundley. You know, and they've got some other bad contracts on this team. Jared Cook set to make $8.3 million this year, but, you know, they'd have to take an $8.9 million cap if, if they release him, so they're stuck with him. Given their situation, I think Bradford probably has more upside than any other options they could they could get, but guy he's just got such a high cap number. It's it's tough there for St. Louis at that position. Uh yeah, and I think what you saw what you see here with um excuse me, with Bradford is he's kind of the last the last big rookie contract before they changed change things and uh you know I, hopefully we're not going to see this anymore as this team being hampered by by a guy that just hasn't been able, able to produce after he signed a huge deal because he was a, a high pick you know um bling garrett continues to make way too much money for doing absolutely nothing so uh, uh i think we're, we're on the outs there and whoever this quarterback is uh it's, it's going to be a struggle uh i think because uh, there's not a lot of not a lot of receiver help there. They kind of have one mold, and if they especially if they lose Kenny Britt, I don't I don't know what's going to happen there. So uh, get to the receivers in a second. But what do we think, Nick, about uh, Trey Mason and uh, his uh, is he the man? After we saw a lot of carousel last year, is he the man? Because his ADP certainly would uh, suggest he's he's pretty high up there in ADP boards. I've seen him going, you know, as high as high as the third round in some mocks already. What what do you think? You got he's listed right now on the DFW ADP Dynasty Startup Board at number thirty six. Well, you know, I, I'm a Trey Mason guy. Last year, everybody was high on Zach Stacy, but I personally wouldn't have touched him because, simply because I thought it was just a matter of time before Mason took uh, took the job there in St. Louis. Uh, you know, I, I'd maybe go a little bit higher than than DFW website has him right now, but 
he's only 21 years old, and it's all speculative. Uh, it's so risky. He's only got two 100-yard games with five total touchdowns, but he did get that 4.3 yards per carry and also 9.3 yards per catch on 16 catches on the year. He, he's a playmaker. But the fact that they do still have Zach Stacy and Benny Cunningham's kind of the third down back, there is a chance that this could end up being a running back by committee. But I do believe that Trey Mason's the most talented of the three. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, he's he just seems to to have it, if you if you will. He just really seems to be be able to bring his game to a to another level. So, uh, uh, you know, Stacy had some injury concerns. Cunningham just kind of the short yardage guy. You know, I fell in love with Mason and watching him in that national championship game against Florida State. And I think as time goes on, he's going to figure some things out and. Uh, See where he ends up, you know. I I actually have a uh, a keeper league where I only have to keep one player, and I have I have Mason, I have Jeremy Hill, I have Carlos Hyde, and I have Devontae Freeman. I ended up with all those rookie running backs at the end of the season. I can keep either one of them. But obviously, Jeremy Hill is going to be the be the best value there for me. But uh, you know, Trey Mason is 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 a guy that's probably going to get to get overdrafted, but it's not going to be like a couple of years ago when people were drafting Daryl Richardson too high. I think Mason's got a lot of, a lot of potential and hopefully if they get a, a quarterback that can actually sling it and stay healthy, I think you're going to see some really good things from Trey Mason. Um, I know you said Jared Cook's contract isn't the greatest either, Nick, but I, I really like him. And I think he works for that offense. Even if there's no, no, Main main guy at quarterback. I, I I like him, and I think he's kind of been an underrated player. Unfortunately, he does probably make too much money. Um, oh, so Nick, what one of these receivers for the Rams would you want on your dynasty team? Well, you know, I I like Brian Quick. He looked really good the first month of last year, but then after having a five-catch, 87-yard, and two-touchdown outing week five versus Philly, over his next three games he only caught four balls for 53 yards before being injured and out for the season. Uh, At their current ranks, though, I think uh, Quick's ranked 51 and Tavon Austin's ranked 70 among receivers. I'll take Austin at those ranks. You know, maybe he'll have a third-year breakout, or maybe he's just an easy guy to cut next offseason. He's one of those small, quick guys. He's a former top 10 pick that just really hasn't lived up to expectations yet. But really, I don't love any of these guys. And if Kenny Britt returns, he would be my number one receiver on the team. Uh, yeah, if there's a Rams wide receiver that I would own in Dynasty, it, and it would be if they take one in the first round, I'll take that guy. I, I don't uh, – I just – quick – I know there's a little bit of love out there for quick still. I don't know why. Stedman Bailey, uh, Tavon Austin just doesn't seem to get it together as an actual wide receiver. Um, yeah, like you said, if Kenny Britt is retained, he's got to be the guy. If they get, like I said, a quarterback that can actually swing it, Britt can do amazing things down the field and through the middle. Uh, but if they end up getting a guy like Devontae Parker or Gene Strong, even if Amari Cooper slips to that, to that low, that's the person that you want to own. Hopefully they can get a quarterback in there to uh, to throw the ball to. Um, but um, what uh, what else do we think about the rest of this Rams team, Nick? Uh, that this defense, a lot of talent on this defense. But who who are the true IDP studs? Obviously, I would think probably Alec Ogletree is the number one guy. Don't you think? 
definitely, definitely Ogletree would be the number one defensive player to have on this team. Uh, we'll, we'll start in the secondary, though. Look at the – they've got two young safeties there. T.J. McDonald, only 24 years old, had 84 tackles last year. And Mark Barron, 25 years old, had 56 tackles and nine starts. He was traded midseason last year from Tampa Bay. They're, they're both ranked in the mid-teens. They're prob- maybe not studs, but definitely worth roster spots in IDP formats. And you mentioned Alec Ogletree, a linebacker. He is a stud, only 23 years old. Over his two seasons, he's got 179 tackles, 10 forced fumbles, and three interceptions, including uh, one interception he took back 98 yards for a touchdown as a rookie. He's currently ranked number six linebacker. Uh, James Laurinaitis is also still there, but he's nowhere near the IDP score that Ogletree is. Uh, now moving on to the defensive line. You know, if you're in a defensive tackle required league, Aaron Donald is among the top dynasty options. Nine sacks, two forced fumbles, and 37 tackles as a rookie. Uh, you know, but defensive tackles tend not to be elite players in standard IDP formats. So if you're looking at just the defensive ends, Chris Long, 29 years old, had double-digit sacks in 2011 and 2012, but he only played six games last year. He's currently ranked number 20. Uh, The top defensive lineman on the team is easily Robert Quinn, 19 sacks in 2013. He's got 40 sacks over his last three years. 12 forced fumbles over the last two seasons, and 133 career tackles in his four-year career. He's currently ranked as our uh, defensive line number three. Uh, yeah, T.J. McDonald, like you said, is, is a guy that you don't want to look at the secondary for this guy, uh, this team. He really hit. He really hit on all the good guys. Like if Don, like uh, Sean Kirby said the exact same thing here. That our, our IDP guy on staff. Aaron Donald, if you're in a defensive tackle required, is the guy that you want. Uh, Robert Quinn, just really sack-heavy. You know, sometimes those sack-heavy guys aren't necessarily the best IDP guys. You want to get the tacklers, uh, and that is Alec Ogletree. The guy is just ridiculous, just a, a freak, if you will, at, at making tackles, and he certainly is going to be uh, the man there, I think, again this year, bar, uh, barring injuries. So Alec Ogletree is the guy that you need to have in your mind when you start drafting those linebackers IDP style. Oh, well, we did it, Nick. We got through this entire division a little long, but that's all right. So we, we wanted to get it to you. Uh, next week we're going to do the AFC West. Uh, I have Mario Van, Van Tanzi uh, from uh, Mile High Sports and uh, Teverly Lazenby from NFL Female coming on to talk about the Broncos and Raiders respectively. So make sure you check that out. Uh, otherwise, this has been any clo- any excuse me any closing thoughts for you there, Nick? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've pretty much wrapped everything up today. All right. I want to thank our our wonderful guest, Deshaun Ross. Brian Tesh and uh, Dana O'Gorman, um, and uh, make sure you check out those guys, uh, all those three, of those people on Twitter next week as we break down and we'll break down the AFC West for you. Which, unfortunately, my personal stake in the matter as I am an Oakland Raiders fan. So uh, make sure you check that out, and make sure you check out all the wonderful articles on Dynasty Football Warehouse. Um, uh, like I said, when we broke down that Dynasty dilemma earlier about the Broncos trio of running backs our good buddy chuck Podeski wrote an article a couple days ago about them uh, so you read that article and then you go back to dfw and vote on that same dynasty dilemma so more dynasty dilemmas more trade talk more uh questions from you guys that we'll discuss next week so I look forward to your 
questions, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we look forward to bringing you awesome, awesome, awesome off-season coverage as we uh, launch forward in the DFW Dynasty Podcast presented by the Dynasty Podcast. Thank you. Presented by the Dynasty